you should open God's Word to John chapter 20, verse 31. This is the theme verse for VBS. I thought it would be good for us to just kind of dive into the Scripture together around this theme verse. John chapter 20, verse 31. Here is the theme verse for VBS this year. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Would you notice, before we even get into this, would you notice that the word believe and believing are used in that one verse? Two times you see that concept in that one verse. Now, the context of these words are important. Let me go back a few verses and paint the picture for you to give you the context for, the, for uh, verse 31. Here's the context. After the resurrection of Jesus, He appeared to His disciples on that evening of the first day. So essentially, on Sunday night, of Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection Day on Sunday night, that evening, He appeared to the group of the disciples. There were... There were ten of them present that night. Thomas, for whatever reason, was not present. Of course, Judas was now out of the picture. So Jesus appeared to the ten disciples to show them his, that he had bodily resurrected. Thomas, for whatever reason, was not present. So let's pick up the story. Again, just looking at the context. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus... One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord! Exclamation mark. Let me ask you a question. Do you think they were excited when they said that? How excited on a scale of one to ten would they be? The twelve, right? Yeah. We've seen the Lord, and there's ten of them. Not one, not two, there's ten of them in unison, declaring to Thomas, he just kind of walks in, you know, he kind of walks in. And all of a sudden, there's ten of them saying, we've seen the Lord. And all ten of them are saying the same thing. Now, that's what makes the next verse so astounding. Or the next half of the verse. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. You've heard of Doubting Thomas. This is why he's called Doubting Thomas. He could also be called Hard-Headed Thomas. Because here he is refusing to believe the testimony of ten other disciples. Now the beautiful thing is, Jesus did not write off Thomas. In fact, a week later, Jesus appears again. And he meets Thomas this time and challenges him to believe. Again, we're just getting the context. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then he said to him, stop doubting and do what, church? Don't miss that word. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas responds in verse 28, 
by saying, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas simply affirms what Jesus has been teaching throughout the Gospel of John. That Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than a master. He is God. Thomas recognizes that. and He declares, my Lord and my God. Thomas, now, now watch this. This is so important. Thomas came to that conclusion because of what he saw. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw the nail prints in his hands. He saw the wound in his side. Thomas came to this conclusion because of what he saw. By the time that John wrote this story, by the time John wrote the gospel, the visible appearances of Jesus had long since passed. Depending on how you date the gospel of John, John wrote this letter 30 to 50 years after Jesus' appearing. So the time of, or the opportunity to see Jesus in bodily form, to actually see Him with your, with your human eyes, that time had passed, even for the readers of John. So here's the question. What about them? What about those readers in John's day who didn't have the opportunity to see what Thomas saw? And here's an even better question. What about us? We certainly, the, the opportunity to see Jesus in his bodily form, the opportunity to look at the wounds in his hands and his side, that time has certainly passed for us. So what about the people in John's audience, and what about us who never have the opportunity to see the resurrected Jesus with our human eyes? Well, Jesus actually pronounced a blessing on all future generations in verse 29. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus said, listen, Thomas, you got to see me and that's why you believe in me. And I'm glad that you believe in me. But I want to declare a blessing on those in future generations who will not have the opportunity you just had. And you could put your name right there beside that verse. If you know Christ as Savior, Jesus said you are blessed because you have believed and you have not seen. It's really what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5-7 when he said, we, we live by faith, not by sight. It's the same idea that Peter had when he wrote in 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Now ladies and gentlemen, that's why John wrote this gospel. John wrote the story of Jesus so that people in every age could know that Jesus is God. And when they put their faith in Him, He can give them eternal life. There are 98 references. If you're taking notes, write this down. There are 98 references in the gospel to this concept of believing in Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. In 21 chapters, there are 98 references to believing in Jesus. You see, John wrote this book with the heart of an evangelist. John didn't just want to give you information about who Jesus is. His goal is not just to enlighten you and educate you. His goal is that you would experience salvation through Jesus Christ. 
He doesn't want you simply to behave better. He wants you to believe in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to simply know about Jesus. He wants you to believe in Jesus Christ. So 98 times in the Gospel of John, he uses the word believe or a reference to believing. And so we come to our text today, verse 30 and 31. John declares, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that is, the miracles I have written about, these are written that you may do what, church? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's two key truths based on that text that I want to show you this morning. And here's the first one. Everything we need to know to believe in Jesus is recorded in the Bible. Can I get an amen there? Everything you need to know about Jesus to believe in Him is recorded in the Bible. As John comes to the end of this story about Jesus... As John spent this time writing the story of Jesus, the Gospel of John, as he comes to the end of that story, he sums up his life this way. Jesus, first of all, did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Now, the reason John writes that sentence is this. Throughout the Gospel of John, John chose seven or eight miracles to kind of help us understand who Jesus is. In fact, if you look at the text, John refers to them in verse 30 as miraculous signs. A miracle, of course, is something that only God can do. A miracle is something that that has no human origin. A miracle is something that, that God brings about and only God can bring it about. If you could bring it about, it wouldn't be a miracle. A miracle is something only God can bring about. And John says there are many miraculous signs, many miracles that Jesus did And he doesn't just call them miracles, he calls them miraculous signs because a sign points to something. And the miracles that Jesus performed were not intended simply to be a big show. But each miracle showed something about Jesus. Each miracle was, its purpose was to reveal the identity of Jesus or to demonstrate the power of Jesus. All the miracles had a purpose, they had a plan behind them. And if you read all four Gospels, you'll find that there are 36 miracles recorded in all four Gospels. John, when he writes this letter, this Gospel, only chooses seven or eight, depending on how you rank them, seven or eight miracles in the Gospel of John. And so that's why John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. In other words, he did a lot of miracles, John would say. In fact, if you... I didn't do this in the first service, but uh, if you go to the next chapter, chapter 21. uh, In chapter 21, verse 25, notice how this book ends. Chapter 21, verse 25, it says, Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that not even the whole world would, would have room for the books that would be written. 
So John is simply saying to you and he's saying to me, he's saying to his original audience, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus did a lot of miracles and he did a lot of stuff. And, and I'm not trying to tell you everything that Jesus said. I'm not trying to tell you everything that Jesus did. But, but he did a lot of things and a lot of miracles. And John chose seven or eight of those miracles, scattered them throughout his gospel, throughout his story of Jesus, to demonstrate the power and the identity of Jesus. You and I today don't have the opportunity to see him. We don't have the opportunity to, to watch the miracles that he performed. But look up here. We do have an accurate account of everything he did. We do have an accurate account of every miracle he performed that, that the Holy Spirit wanted to record. And John said, I'm writing these things so that you can know who Jesus is. And what he did. And so that your life can be changed. Look, look again in verse 30. Just follow. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. Which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. Uh, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, 20 centuries later. It's amazing that what John wrote about is still bearing fruit. I do a little bit of writing now. I'm writing some columns. Nothing big, nothing that important. But it would encourage me to know 20 days later somebody read it and was encouraged by it. That 20 days later somebody still remembered it. John is writing and 20 centuries later people are still being changed by what he wrote. That's the power of God. Amen? That is the power of God. 20 centuries later his prayers are still being answered. Twenty centuries later, people are reading the stories of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus. And as they're reading that, they come to the realization, Jesus is God. And their lives are changed. I just love the idea that in VBS this week, we're going to have the opportunity, and there'll be teachers all over these buildings, having the opportunity to open this book and say to little precious boys and girls, let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you what Jesus did. And he's more than a miracle worker. He is God. You see, everything that you need to believe in Jesus Christ is recorded in this book. Here's the second point that John makes. Believing in Jesus will change your life. John says it this way. Verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And watch this. And that by believing, you may have what, church? By believing, you may have life in His name. It's an interesting word, this word life, that John uses. In the Greek New Testament, it's the, it's the Greek word zoe. Let me read it to you again. But these are written that you may have, that, I'm sorry, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, through the process of believing, you may have zoe, life, in His name. That word zoe means a divine life. Eternal life. The life of God would be another way to say it. 
when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you can have divine life in you, that you can have eternal life in you, that you can have the life of God in you. John says, I'm writing not just so that you'll know something, I'm writing so that you'll believe in someone, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in flesh. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can experience life the way He intended you to experience it. Jesus talked about this very thing ten chapters before this. In, in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10. Go over to John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus is speaking in this text and he says, The thief, speaking of the devil, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I bet you know some people who have experienced that, don't you? I bet you've witnessed somebody, maybe in your own family, where the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. Or maybe you're experiencing that in your own life right now. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The devil is never out to help you. In any form or fashion, he is never going to try to help you. But it says in contrast to that, Jesus said, I have come that they may have zoe, that they may have divine life, that they may have eternal life, that they may have the life of God. And watch what he says, and have it to the full. Now, you need to know that There are two different Greek words for this word life. Jesus here uses the word zoe. John also in John chapter 20 uses this word life as zoe, this eternal life, this life of God, zoe. That's the word that is being used here. There's another word in the Greek New Testament for life, and the Greek word that describes just kind of our natural life is the word suke. We all have a suke. The fact that you're alive today is, is an example that you have this life, this suke, if you will. It simply means our natural life. Let me demonstrate it to you this way. I, I've got here a box of chai latte. I really enjoy this stuff. Now, I don't like it as much as Pepsi. But I really enjoy this stuff. I really do. And I've always... I've always wanted to be one of those people who could walk around in the mornings with a cup of coffee in their hand. I hate coffee. I've tried to drink it every way you can imagine. I hate it. I had Mike Jones tell me one time in Costa Rica, you just never had the coffee like I fix it. Let me fix you some coffee and you're going to like it. I took one drink of it and almost spit it in his face. I didn't spit in his face, but I, I, I hate it. I, you put anything you want. You could pour Pepsi in it. I'd still hate it. Coffee tastes like coffee. I just don't like the way it tastes. But I've always wanted to carry a cup around in the morning. (laughs) So I came across chai latte. It's it's just tea. So every morning I open up this box. I get a pack of chai latte and I pour it into there and I mix it up. And now I've got something warm to drink and I can walk around and be cool, you know. (laughs) So that's what I did this morning. And I realize that this box really is kind of a demonstration of what I'm trying to say to you today, that we all have a suke. We all have a natural life. And and your suke, your life, is simply a container. 
That's really all, all your body is. It's just a container. You have a souquet, a life. But you don't really have the life God intends you to have if that's all you have. Because you see, if you look in this box, it's empty. That really is a pretty good visual of your life if you don't have Jesus in your life. Well, you have a souquet, you have a life, and it might look pretty good to people on the outside. But without Jesus Christ on the inside, you know that your souquet, your life is empty. And here's what God has designed. This is what God has planned. You need to understand this. This is what God has planned. God has planned that Jesus would live in your heart or in your life. God's design is that when you believe that Jesus is God in flesh, that he died on the cross for your sins and mine, that God resurrected him from the grave, when you say, by faith I believe that, by faith I claim that, by faith I accept that, the Bible says the moment that you do that, that all of a sudden, the zoe, the eternal life of God, comes to live within you. Now, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see this in Scripture. Look in Galatians, over to the right, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, Paul is speaking, he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ does what? Lives in me. Look at, look at my box. He said, I've got this souquet, this body, and now I've experienced something. I've experienced the zoe. The life of God, the eternal life of God. Christ now lives in me. And look, look how he describes it. The life I live in the body, the life I live in this container, the life that I live in this souquet, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ladies and gentlemen, if I, as simple as I can say it, if you don't have Jesus in your life, then it's like this empty box. You're living a life God never intended you to live. You're living life on your own. You're living life without God. You're living life minus the eternal life God wants to give you. Now don't misunderstand when we talk about eternal life. I'm not talking simply about endless time. But when the Bible talks about eternal life, Life, sometimes I think we mistakenly just think in terms of endless time. But for some of you, the thought of living endlessly is not a very appealing thought. It's like, I don't even like this life very much. I don't want to keep doing it forever. Endless time does not sound that appealing for some people. Eternal life is so much more than endless time. Listen, even lost people will experience endless time as they spend eternity in hell. Talk about eternity or eternal life. We're not talking simply about endless time. Eternal life is having God in your life today and forever. It's a relationship with God that never ends. It is having the, the zoe fill your life today 
and experiencing that zoe, this eternal life of God, forever. You see, when you talk about eternal life from a biblical perspective, it's more about the quality of life than it is the quantity of time. It's life with God forever. You see, maybe I can put it to you this way. You don't die and then experience eternal life. Some people have that perception. That, you know, I kind of live life now. I trust Jesus. I live life now. And then when I die, then I begin to experience eternal life. That's not biblical thinking. Eternal life doesn't start the day I die. Eternal life begins when I take my first step of faith and ask Jesus to be my Savior. Because that's when the zoe, the life of God, comes to live within me. And I have from that day forward, both now and forever, I have the life of God in me. Both now and forever. Anybody happy about that? Both now and forever. And that's what John is inviting his readers to take part in. And that's what I'm inviting you to take part in. To trust in Jesus Christ so that your life will be changed from death to eternal life. You see, the first followers were not saved by seeing Jesus. The first followers were not saved by witnessing His miracles. They were saved by believing in Jesus Christ. And that is, a, that is the step everybody can take. I love the fact that God doesn't have a certain standard that you have to meet in order to first meet that standard in order to qualify as a Christian. That's not the way God works. You, you know, let's just say college basketball. College basketball team, not everybody gets to make the team, right? How many of you have played on a college basketball team? Raise your hand. Oh, have my glasses on. Raise it up high. I see one hand so far. There might be one or two more that I've missed. Oh, over here. Who played? Keith played on college basketball team? And that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Uh, you, not everybody qualifies, right? You want to, you hope to, but not everybody can meet that standard. Some people think that you have to qualify to be on God's team. But if God said, okay, here's the standard of holiness, here's what you have to do to qualify to be on my team, the problem with that is there would be a lot of people who wouldn't make it. There'd be a lot of people who said, I, I can't meet that standard. I can't be that good. I, I can't accomplish that. I, I'm not that holy. There'd be a lot of people who would be left out. But the beauty of the gospel is that nobody is left out. Because God's standard is this. Well, listen, God's standard is not what you do. God's standard is what He did. And He says... The thing that qualifies you is if you believe. If you believe in what I did for you. I love that. That the standard is not what you do, but what he did on the cross. So John says, I'm writing these things so that you might believe and so that your life will be changed. 
I want to close by asking you to run with me quickly to Romans chapter 4 because Romans chapter 4 is a beautiful illustration of what we're talking about today. Now, if you're reading through the book of Romans, uh, you, you either have already read this or today is your reading. Here's what I'm doing as I read through the book of Romans. I'm reading it chapter by chapter, but I'm spending two days on each chapter. That's kind of my plan for reading through Romans this month. So I'm spending two days on, on each chapter, and God in His sovereignty brought me today as I'm reading through Romans. I just happened to read Romans chapter 4, and I'll read Romans chapter 4 again tomorrow. Look what it says in Romans chapter 4, beautiful illustration of what we've been talking about. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, that is made right with God by works, made right with God by trying to hit a certain standard, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? That's always a good question, isn't it? What does the Scripture say? Here's what the Scripture says. Abraham, what's that next word? There it is. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. One of the most important verses in all of Scripture is the verse you just read. Abraham believed God. And God looked at that belief as righteousness. The most righteous thing you can do is to believe God. Put your faith in Him. Verse 4, Now when a man works... His wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Wages is something that you earn. However, the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked. I love that phrase, that God justifies the wicked. God justifies the wicked. His faith is credited it's righteousness. David, Paul says, I've told you about Abraham, let me tell you about David. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Now here's what David said. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does, will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or only for the Jews or also for the uncircumcised. We have been saying that Abraham's faith is credited to him as righteousness. I could ask you a very personal and powerful question today. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? See, that's the one thing that changes your life. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Without that, your suke, your life, is empty. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the eternal life of God comes into your life, both now and forever. And that is eternal life. And that is God's grace. Let's pray about that together. Everybody, would you bow your heads with me, please? Every head bowed.
In this invitation, I'm going to ask you to do two things today. I'm going to ask many of you to come to this altar and just bathe Vacation Bible School in prayer. Would you come to this altar this morning during the invitation? We're going to sing several verses, so don't rush. Come to this altar today and just pray for, for our workers and pray most of all for our children to hear and understand and respond to the gospel. Pray for me uh, as I'll be presenting the gospel. So I'm going to ask many of you, just you can come right now or you can get up as we start singing. Just come to this altar and let's just bathe VBS in prayer. I'm going to ask a second group of you to come today to say, Pastor, I'm today for the first time in my life, I'm asking Jesus to be my Savior. For the first time in my life, I believe. For the first time in my life, I'm declaring my faith in Christ. I'm going to ask you to come and receive Christ as your Savior as we sing. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for what you've done on Calvary for us. And that the standard is not what we have done, but it's what you did. And may we believe in that today, and may our lives be eternally different. I pray that in Christ's name, amen.